morning. For those who uh, don't know who I am, the few of you who don't know who I am, I'm Mark. Uh, I'm the senior pastor here. And for uh, better or worse, you've got me this morning. And I'm going to be following on from what I was talking about last week when I was talking about what we're about as a church, what our vision is, what God's asked us specifically to do as a church. And uh, one of the things that I said last week is that everybody ends up somewhere in life, but very few people actually ends up somewhere in purpose. And that's true also of churches, that if uh, most churches, well, every church that I know of actually sets out to do some really good things and does good things, but only a few churches actually achieve the purpose that God gave them to do. And uh, so when we're looking at all those good things and all our ideas and all the things we could do as churches and, and, and churches right across this city do some fantastic stuff, when we look at those things, we, we need to measure them as to whether they're actually helping us get towards the specific things that God's told us to do as a church. And so we filter things through two lenses. The lens of the vision, which is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus, does it help at any point on that, that, that curve of somebody growing to know Jesus better? Does it help? But then secondly, it's not enough to kind of gauge just does it help because lots of things would help. We need to say, does it have impact? Is it, is it something that is producing life? Is it something that is we can say, yeah, that's really helped me grow. Yes, that brought people into the kingdom. Yes, they're here now. And, and does it have impact? So we put the things through those two lenses. And uh, one of the things that I, I really kind of focused on last week was this. That if, if we're clear about what we're trying to do, if we're clear about what the vision is, and then we commit to follow through. So either your vision for your own life, which we talked about last week, but also our vision as a church. If you commit and get involved with that, then if that's clear and you have the courage to follow through, that dramatically increases the chance of you getting to the end of your life and looking back on your life and saying, yeah, I did it. I succeeded. I did, I did well. I lived well. And it's the same for church. If we, if we commit to the vision and we have the courage to follow through, then it dramatically increases the chances for all of us to stand before Jesus and him say, well done, good and faithful servant, which is the one we want to hear, isn't it? We want to hear Jesus saying, when we stand in front of him, well done, good and faithful servants. You, you used what I gave you. And look at all these people who are in the kingdom because of you. That's, that's what, that's what we, we're looking for. That's what we're aiming for. Um, today... I'm going to talk about something that takes us a bit further or looks at that in a bit more depth or a bit more detail. Today, I'm going to talk to you about something you already know. I'm going to talk to you about something that you've already seen. And if we're honest with ourselves, I'm going to talk to you about something that you've already thought, but you haven't said. Because we, we observe things, don't we? We think about things. You, you, right now, you're sat there thinking about things. And even this morning, you've observed some things. And you've had thoughts about 
about church and you've had thoughts about the things that we do and the things that we try and do and, and you've thought about all those things. So you've already thought about what I'm going to talk about this morning. But maybe I can give you a bit of help in answering some of the questions that those thoughts raise. Does that sound all right? Does that sound good? So that's what we're doing this morning. Now, to do that, I need to uh, focus down on a couple of things. Because if you're anything like me, you get confused by these things. And so there's two words that we throw around, vision and mission. And some people have vision statements, some people have mission statements. And it raises the question, like, kind of what's the difference between the two? Or are they just the same thing? And so I, I did a lot of research in, into that, preparing this, looking at all sorts of things. And I have uh, some good news for you. People are as confused what the difference is as I was when I started out looking. Because pretty much they merge into one. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you my own definition, and that might help. Yeah, maybe one day I'll write a book about it. So vision, so the vision thing we talked about, leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus, the vision thing focuses on tomorrow and what you want to become. So the vision is always out there. The vision is always something we're aiming for, something we're always heading for. So although it's to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus, we never get there. There's always things that we can, we can do better. There's always things that if we had more resource, more people, more souls saved, we, we could move closer and closer. But we never get there because it's a vision. It's, it's a goal. It's a thing that Jesus gave us to pull us forward. Now, mission, so this is my, my bit of the definition. Mission focuses on the specific actions that we do now to help us get there. Okay, so that, that's me. You won't find that in textbooks. You might find it in textbooks. Who knows? They're all confused. But I'm trying to make it simple for you. Now, here's the thing. Vision is something that was given to us specifically as a church. That's what we're trying to do, lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus. Mission, according to Jesus, is a non-negotiable. We can't invent that for ourselves. So Jesus defined when he was on earth, he sat down with his disciples on, on a number of occasions and he said, this is what the mission is, guys. This, this is what it's about. And so in Matthew 28, he, he says something that, that many of us have heard lots of times, which is go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them and teaching them to do all that I've told you. Yeah? So there's something about the way Jesus talks about the mission that says go. Go make disciples. And in uh, Mark chapter 12, he, he starts to talk about what that looks like for you as a believer. And he says, people who are on this mission with me have a certain quality. And that quality is that they love God with all their heart, all their soul, all their strength, and all their mind. And they love others as much as they love themselves. That's a challenge, isn't it, sometimes? <laughs> yeah. We can all get self-focused. I get self-focused. I get self-obsessed. But Jesus is really challenging this there and saying, I want you to love other people. I want you to focus on other people and think about other people just as much as you think about yourself and focus on yourself. And then 
in John chapter 13, he says something which is kind of uh, really what he put on Cheryl's heart when we started this church, which is, I'll, I'll read it to you. As I have loved you. So he's talking to his disciples. These are people who've committed to do what he asked them. And he tells them, as I've loved you, so you must love one another. That in itself is a challenge. Like, I, I've got to love people as much as Jesus loved me. And I'm going like, man, I don't want to go to a cross for somebody, you know, all these sort of things. But he loved people, and that's why he gave his life for people. That's why he gave his life for you. So love, must love one another. Now, here's the point. By that love that we have for each other, that's the way people who aren't here yet and aren't in the kingdom yet and don't follow Jesus yet, that's the way they can tell if we're a follower of Jesus. So if you ever wanted to work out how people who don't believe in Jesus are assessing those of us who do believe in Jesus, they're assessing us on the basis of what they observe about how much we care and love each other. And that's huge. When we think about some of the ways we behave, and Jesus, he said, that's how the world is assessing how, whether you're a disciple of mine or not. So these are massive. So if you, if you gel that down, if you reduce that down to our mission as a church, what he's talking about there is he's defining the mission, go make disciples. He's talking about the goal of discipleship, which is uh, love the Lord your God with all your strength, all your heart and mind. L love one another as you love yourself. And then he's talking what church should look like inside so that those outside are attracted to those inside. And that is we love one another like he loved us. So that's, that's the mission. So our vision is lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus. The mission that we're on right here, right now, day to day, every day, is non-negotiable, and that's it. That's what Jesus gave us to do. And so what does that mean? It means that if we're following Jesus, every single church, faith life, should have a passion for reaching those who don't know Jesus yet. That's a non-negotiable according to Jesus. And here's something else that's, that, that is really on his heart. Every church community should love one another so well that those who don't yet know Jesus think to themselves, I don't know if I believe what they believe. I don't know if I'll ever believe what they believe. But they certainly believe it, and I like them. That's, that was Jesus' master plan. That was, that, that's his, his aim in, in everything. The, 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 the body, the church here should be like that and look like that. And so those, you know, some people go, well, what makes a church a success? Jesus, again, it's non-negotiable. Jesus will assess the success or failure of a church, a local church like ours, on the basis of how well we did 
on those three statements. And that's a real challenge, isn't it? Because I'm going like, woof. Because you can get sucked in to focusing on all sorts of stuff that's not in those statements. And you can get sucked into all sorts of stuff that actually is totally contrary to those things. And I'd like to say that's never happened to me and it's always happened to everybody else, but that wouldn't be true. We, we, we all get, can get sucked in. Now, here's the reason we all get sucked in and we, we miss those three statements. The reason we get sucked in is, this is the bit I've, I said at the start, this is something you know and you've thought about, but it hasn't, you know, it's not out there for discussion but you've privately thought it. And it's this, that there is a relentless, so I might upset a few people this morning. Don't worry, I will sort you out. There is a relentless gravitational pull to focus church primarily on the wants and desires of the insiders, those who were already here. And the longer that pull is allowed to exist, the smaller and smaller the group of insiders that it gets focused on. Until it is only focused on those who have been here a long time. And we make church to look like we want church to look like because we're comfortable with that way of church. But that way of church might be a way that no longer helps us hit that mission. And so we have to think about a few things differently. Let me, let me try and show you this on diagrams, okay? I got some fancy diagrams this morning. My diagram skill, not great. Wanted a little red pointer, but you've got a bouncy arrow from Jules instead because we have no red pointer. Here's, here's what our vision statement looks like. It looks like leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus. And I said last week, didn't I, that, that where does that start and where does that end? Well, it's from anywhere, from somebody that doesn't know Jesus at all, that's the, that's the mission, right through on that scale, people who are searching, people who are young believers, there we are, bouncy arrows, look, look there, maturing believers, you pick your own category, wherever you are on this scale, Mature, young believer, maturing believer, searching Long-standing believers, yeah? Okay, so that's, that's the vision. That's what it looks like in diagram form. Now, here's what happens. Somewhere in there, we put this thing called church. You can, again, you, you've got free reign to put that arrow wherever you think church starts. I've put it in between somewhere like searching and young believers. In other words, somebody has done something that's made me or church accept them as a Jesus follower. Because we're a club, aren't we? No, we're not a club. But we have this, this construct called church. And it starts somewhere. I'll tell you where it starts right now. It starts at that window and it starts at that front door. That's where our church starts. In our minds. That's what we've got to break, that understanding. And so... What happens next? So the, what happens with churches is really sad if we let it happen. And this is what happens with churches. is this relentless gravitational pull. And it just pulls us along that, that scale. 
Nobody does that deliberately. Nobody does that like it's not a thought-out plan. It just happens to churches. Because it's very difficult for us to see beyond ourselves and what is good for us. And think what's good for everybody. And the longer that goes on, the smaller and smaller church gets. Until that's church. And the, the really interesting point about that is nobody notices. They just feel a bit of disquiet every time they read those verses about what Jesus said our mission is. But we think what we've always done and what works for us will always carry on working. Now, why is this sad? Well, Cheryl and I and Joe, and Jessica, but she won't remember. Well, she might remember. We're in a church in Preston. And it was a fabulous church. It was kind of a church like we are now, about the size we are now, and it was growing. And it was doing great. But it was focused on those already inside the church and the problems of the people that are inside the church and what sort of church a this smaller group of people wanted to create. Now, we've been away from Preston a long time, but back in, I guess, about 2018, 2019, Cheryl, Cheryl and I were asked to go back and speak at this church. It was so sad because that vibrant church was now a church of 20, 60, 70-year-olds in a room getting all together with one keyboard and somebody who couldn't sing. That's what happens when that relentless gravitational pull keeps happening. Because those 20 people in the room still thought this was a great church because it met their needs. And it's so sad. That church never came out of lockdown. It no longer exists. And that's what every church has to resist. You know when you see in Cambridge, big buildings with small congregations, that's what happened somewhere in the past. Somewhere in the past, we stopped being on Jesus' mission. I've tried to make that simple with diagrams. Hopefully, I'll, I'll, you understand that. Okay, so what do we do? Well, that problem, which exists in every church, you can only deal with it if you're intentional about addressing it. It won't happen by accident. You can't push back by accident. It'll always require those who were inside the church to force themselves and encourage others to push back along that scale to see outside the church. It'll always require those at the right-hand end of the scale to investigate what unintentional barriers exist in their church that is stopping people growing and coming to know Jesus. And I have to tell you, that's not easy. And like, kind of, the challenge for me, so I, I've been getting feedback from everybody who's joined the church in the last 12 months or so. 
And it's been really eye-opening as to what bothers people and what's good and what, you know, what we do well and what we don't do so well. And it's been really eye-opening. I didn't know, I, I knew some of it because Jess tells me, but I didn't know all of it. And some of it, I would never have thought that's an issue. But they are issues and we need to think about how we can push back down that scale so that those outside eventually get inside. And those inside go outside to get them. It's so important. You see, if that's Jesus' measure of a successful church, we can't negotiate that. We can only pass or fail on that. But we can't negotiate. We can't change it. That, that, that was kind of the problem that, that, that they had in Preston, is it never looked outside itself. And, and so it becomes a challenge. Is, is this something, so this, this might be the bit where Shovel needs to like calm you all down, okay? The greatest danger to a church is not doing too little. There's a greater danger than that, and that's doing too many things for just a few people. That's the big danger for a life and longevity of a church. So where does this problem come from? What's the root of the problem? Well, to do this, I'm going to show you something that Jesus said, that Jesus talked about this problem. And you'll find that these, the, the, the problem comes down to one word. One word. See if you can spot the word as we go through the passage, okay? See if you can spot the word. Because this is where the problem comes. Okay, let's... Let's just start. And so I'm talking from Matthew chapter 16 and starting at verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi, I'll tell you where he is. Caesarea Philippi was a, was a city in ancient what's now Israel. And it was established by Herod the Great. You remember Herod the Great that didn't like baby Jesus? That one, that guy. And Herod the Great was up cozy with the emperor, the Roman emperor. And he was kind of a, you know, like he, he just, well, we all have words for them in the workplace, don't we? You know, the, 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 the crawl, the crawlers, are, and there's worse words than that. But that's who Herod the Great was. And the emperor, who was a guy called Caesar Augustus, followed on from Julius Caesar, Caesar Augustus gave Herod loads of money to build a temple in Caesarea Philippi to worship the god Caesar Augustus. Because emperors are gods in their culture, in, in Roman culture. So Herod Gaul, he said he had this magnificent temple built. Now, Herod, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, didn't last too long after that, and he's dead. But he's got some sons. And one of those sons is called Philip. And Philip goes to this place, that's why it gets called Caesarea Philippi, because he's modest and humble and would never name a town after himself alongside Caesar, would he? But yes, he does. And he's obsessed with building beautiful buildings. So he uses all the money in the area for building the beautiful buildings. So when Jesus says this, he's looking at a monument 
built to Caesar Augustus and this crazy king called Herod Philip who does everything to make himself look big. That's what Jesus is looking at. So he turns to his disciples and he says this, who do people say that the son of man is? In other words, who do people say that I am? And this is the reply. Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, he's an Old Testament Testament prophet, uh, to actually this area of Israel that they stood in. And others say Jeremiah, one of the other prophets. So let's hedge our bets. He could be anybody. And everybody's got an opinion on who Jesus is. And then he asked them, but who do you say I am? That's a different, harder question, isn't it? Who are you going to say Jesus is? Well, we don't have to worry because Simon Peter gets the right answer. He jumps in with both feet when all the other disciples are ducking the question and thinking, oh, I don't want to get this one wrong. He jumps in and he says, you are the Messiah. That's the one that Israel was expecting to come and save Israel, save God's people. You are the Messiah, the one who's going to come and save us all, the son of the living God. And then he goes on and says this. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon. That's Peter's old name. Jesus changed it. Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven revealed that to you. You didn't learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock or cornerstone. And upon this rock, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not defeat it. So where's the problem? Where's the problem? I'll give you a pointer, just in case you haven't worked out what the word is. What do you think of, what pops into your head when I say the word church? What pops into your head? What does it look like? Okay, you don't have to answer, because we'll be here all day if we have all the answers. But what do you think of when you think of church? When This is actually one of my favorite um, prophecies in the Bible. It's a prophecy. Because Jesus predicted us. He predicted me. He predicted you. He predicted all of us in this room, maybe. And, and here's the thing. This is the first time that word church turns up in the Bible. Whenever something's mentioned in the Bible, and it's the first time it's mentioned, we pay special attention. It's like, what's that mean then? You know, it's, it's that sort of question. Right. So when he said you, on this rock or this cornerstone, he wasn't talking about Peter the person. He was talking about this revelation that Peter had had, that Jesus was the one who was going to come and save people, this Messiah. And when he talks about cornerstone, the idea there is not um, a lump of stone. The idea there is that's the first thing laid down and everything from then on is measured and is taken as true from that cornerstone. So it's the bit that makes the building at the end look right because every, everything has been done by reference to that cornerstone. Any problems with that? Ray will explain it to you. He was a builder. He, he knows about these things. He's, he's, he's smiling, so I kind of got it too wrong. Okay. Okay, so that's what Jesus is talking about. Everything aligned to him. 
following him as closely as we can so we stay true to him. And then he uses this word, church, to describe what that is. Now, that word church, in, when it was first written down, Jesus didn't say church because he wasn't English. He used a word, and it's, it's a great word, ecclesia. Now, if you're anything like me, you've already got in your head incense, men in white robes, all the rest of it, cold stone buildings, ecclesia. Okay? It sounds like a really religious word, doesn't it? But it's not. Ecclesia was never a religious word. What an ecclesia was, is it was a, like a civic gathering. It was the people who made decisions for your local town or local area, and they were called out and they gathered. And that was an ecclesia. A people called out for that specific purpose. So an ecclesia could also be a, a part of the army, a, a garrison that was called out. So you have an ecclesia, a bunch of soldiers who were called out for a specific purpose. That's, that's what this is meant to mean. And so it's a purposeful gathering for a specific purpose. I like to define it slightly differently. I, I think this is still true to what it means. Is It's a movement, for, in far as Jesus is concerned, what, what's that ecclesia look like for us? It's a movement with Jesus' mission and mandate. Now hear that. that that's, that's what Jesus said he was going to build. That's what he gave that mission to that I described at the start. A movement with Jesus' mission and mandate. What then is this thing called faith life supposed to be doing? Because we're the ecclesia. This is what we're supposed to be doing. Go make disciples. Seek and save the lost. Defeat the works of the enemy. Love God the same way Jesus loved God. That's how we measure if we're church at all. That's how we measure if we're church. That's how we work out whether we're a church or a club. Now, I like this word movement. The reason I like movement is it's better than static and unchanging and plateaued and boring. It's alive, it's active, it's got a purpose. That's what Jesus had in mind when he said, go make disciples. He had a movement in mind. So where did this problem with this word, ecclesia, start? Well, it's been a problem that's been growing at various points across 1,700 years of history. Now, I know you all want your roast dinners or whatever today, so I'm not going to do the whole 1,700 years year by year, okay? We're going to start in AD 313, 313 years after Jesus. What happened in AD 313? Well, I'll tell you. It's a big day for the church. 
what happens in AD 313 is the emperor, or the about to become emperor, a guy called Constantine, so we're like 300 years on from Augustus and all the rest of it. This guy called Constantine legalizes Christianity. Up to that point, it's been illegal. It's been illegal because of these Roman emperors who were gods. And when people said Jesus was a god, that was denigrating to the Roman Empire. So you, 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 were, you were a criminal to believe in Jesus and follow Jesus. Anyway, Constantine comes along and he legalizes it. In fact, he doesn't just legalize Christianity, he legalizes all religions. Freedom of religion, that's, why, that's the first time it happens. A bit later, Constantine himself decides he's going to become a Jesus follower. And so he says, hey guys, I'm a Christian now. I've, I've joined this Christian thing. And so from then on, it became easier and easier to be a Christian. You weren't fed to lions anymore, and you weren't expected to fight gladiators without being given a sword. It was good news for Christians, but it was bad news for the movement. Because what happens is that when things get state-approved and king-approved or emperor-approved, men get in. And so pretty soon, they're building big buildings, not to Caesar Augustus this time, to their church. Their group are building, building big buildings and they've got a hierarchy of people who run these churches and they, they've got all sorts of things that start getting introduced around it, all the sort of stuff like, you know, smelly things and dingy, ringy things and long things and they take the Bible away from people, not that the Bible existed in its current form at that time. They take it all away. And over time, it all gets horrendous. When, when, when we lose sight of the vision, it gets horrendous. These are good times compared to the Spanish Inquisition. These are good times compared to the selling of indulgences. Like crazy, horrible, horrible things where the church was responsible, the church, for so many atrocities. What's the problem? The church was not an ecclesia. How did we get to that? How do we get to this idea of church that, that we think of? You know that question, what do you think of when I say the word church? How do we get here? Well, we got here because as things got increasingly hierarchical and as things got static and as the church got increasingly insider-focused and insider-orientated, it stuck in buildings and didn't affect anything around it. And so when they translated the scriptures, the Bible, into German, they took Ecclesia and they translated it Kirch, which means a building. So the church became a building. Here's the point. The point is, not the building. You know, people get all hung up about buildings. Man, Jesus had big meetings. He had small meetings in houses. Paul went about teaching from house to house, but he had big weekly meetings in the synagogue or the marketplace. 
Paul did what we are doing now. James did what we are doing now. Jesus did what we are doing now. The point is not building, no building, school, community centre, whatever. The problem is lack of movement because we've lost the vision. And when we lose the vision, church goes skew. Here's, here's the point I'm getting to. Whenever the church gets comfortable, the gravitational pull to meetings for a few rather than mission, move, mission and movement towards the many is the result. Whenever we get comfortable, if we stay comfortable with ourselves, that relentless gravitational pull will kill us like it will kill every other church. So we have to move to the mission towards the many. That's why we're doing some of the things we're doing here. Guys, I was so like bowled over by how many people were here at 9 a.m. this morning to help. It was just brilliant. I was absolutely just like, guys, this is, this is like Jesus is moving. And it might seem a little thing, but the number of people who were here at 10.15, 10.20, ready to start the church, it was just fantastic. Why, is that, why does that matter? Well, if you're a guest and you're here for the first time, it matters that this place isn't empty. It matters that we're all here to worship when we start. It really matters. Not to us that are right down the far end of the scale, because it's our church and that's just what happens in our church. It matters to the people who don't know Jesus yet. They're trying to know Jesus yet. They're seeking to know Jesus. That I've wandered into the wrong building getting to know Jesus. That I've come to the wrong place getting to know Jesus. It matters to somebody who's struggling with their faith and they come from another church. It matters if you're the one inviting somebody. It matters. That's why we do what we do. If we can get better and all gather around this mission here, then we can go there and bring people in. But if we can't get our head that we gathered around a mission, we'll start to contract. And we'll become church of few. This is the point. When Jesus said, go, make disciples, he didn't have in mind a few evangelists sent out run some meetings in a tent that's not what he was thinking in fact bizarrely in, in in the new testament the evangelists stayed in the church and the apostles went out we've got we actually got that the wrong way around if you want to be technical but here's the thing what jesus had in mind was the whole church the whole local church mobilized around a mission thinking about the person that might walk in on a Sunday morning, thinking about how do I invite somebody to come in on a Sunday morning? How do I make a link to somebody that is in this community? How do I do that? That's what Jesus had in mind. And then following through. And this is, this is the thing. When he said make disciples, so this is the good bit. This is for us who were already here, plus those who were coming in. When he said make disciples, what he had in mind was not a series of courses. He had in mind a dynamic process that takes people along that scale, judged through the eyes of vision and impact. Okay, 
So why, why have I said all this? Why is it important? Because I'm just going to wrap it up here. And I'm going to come back next week and talk about, um, yeah, well, I won't tell you what I'll talk about. You have to come and find out what I'm going to talk about. But in the meantime, you've got five videos, new ones coming out this week. Watch those. It's kind of, uh, it's kind of intended to be helpful. They're not long. Get your cornflakes. Get, if you, get your crunchy nut cornflakes, which no, I am not allowed because they're bad for me. I will be having my seeds. <laughs> Sit there with your cup of tea, decaffeinated, of course. Sit there and just watch it before you disappear out the door. It'll help you. It'll help you get your head around what I've just said this morning. There's some really important stuff this week. Last week was just like the warm-up. There's some really key stuff this week. So listen to those when they come up. Here's the thing. Vision, this vision leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus is intended to shape the future. It acts to stop the, the future shaping this church. It acts to stop that relentless pull. That's why we have this vision, lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus. That's what we're about. That's what God asks us to do. That's our purpose. Everything has to go through that lens and go through, are we making an impact in doing that? We have to keep pushing back along that curve. 